Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to take a little bit different tack this morning and talk a little less about product. Obviously, the first panel, phenomenal information. There's a lot to think about when you start dealing in the closed-end fund space. They talk about inefficiencies. They talk about microcaps. Uh, so in, in order to sort of move this forward, what I want to talk a little bit is a little bit more theoretical in terms of what we're doing at First Trust. Uh, we're a shop out of uh, the Chicagoland area. And we recently, uh, in the fall of last year, launched a couple of ETFs that invest centrally in closed-end funds as their underlying uh, investment. So why do we do this? First and foremost, a lot of the stuff that was just talked about up here, we were living that. We understood that. Uh, by background, I've been doing closed-end funds in many different capacities for 25-plus years. So we saw that there was a, a need and a desire for investors to get involved, yet as the book of the retail advisor has changed from a transactional book to more of a platform book, we realized a lot of them were leaving the closed-end fund space because it was just too much work. It was talked earlier about there's few analysts out there, so unless you're typically at one of the major wirehouses, you have no research background or no research to look at to get involved with closed-end funds. You're kind of left out there on your own if you want to get involved in the space. So what we did in the fall, and again, my little presentation here today is not about these products, but really about why we did these products. We launched two actively managed ETFs that centrally invest in closed-end funds, and these were the first in the space. So what I'm going to do is walk you through a little bit, little bit about our thinking in regards to why we did this. If you go back to the origination of the ETF, the ETF was an access trade, right? Institutional investors and traders wanted to have the ability to buy the S&P 500 for sake in a cash vehicle. You know, you can do it in the, you can do it in the options, you can play the options space, you can play the future space, but you couldn't do it in, in the cash space. So the ETFs originated mostly as an access trade. Now, if you come full circle, where we are today with the ETFs, ETFs, they've played out all the access trades. So what they're starting to do is they're starting to look where they can find alpha. So they're getting into things such as smaller caps, senior loans, bonds were a, a, a big win for ETFs when those were launched because that traditionally hasn't been done uh, in anything but an actively managed vehicle. You had the indexes out there, but nobody could buy the indexes. Take, but if you look at closed-end funds, just to move forward, closed-end funds came about the exact opposite way. Closed-end funds initially were always an alpha play. You could get income off a closed-end fund, uh, higher income, and then a lot of times closed-end funds have been pushed as income vehicles. And you know that's a little bit of a tangent. I won't go there. Uh, but that's really why a lot of investors were buying them, is for the income. You had the ability to leverage in a closed-end fund. You know, play the, play the difference between the long and the short end of the curve to add value or to add income to that uh, common shareholder's return on an, on an annual basis. And, as was talked about earlier, it was a captured asset base. I think on an earlier panel, the manager for UTG talked about he can run money like an institution. He doesn't have to worry about inflows and outflows on a daily basis. So he can be a long-term institutional investor by owning a closed-end fund. Now, if you look at the closed-end funds 
Today, however, talked earlier about how the retail advisor is changing their book of business. They're going from being a transaction advisor to trying to work on platforms, to, to finding money managers to run the money for them, and they become asset gatherers. What you started to see in the closed-end fund space is the access trade. At First Trust, one of the big sellers we have in the Unit Investment Trust is Unit Investment Trusts of closed-end funds. It's one ticket for the advisor who says, you know what, I don't know which closed-end fund to pick. There's a lot of stuff going on. Hey, I want senior loans. I'll buy that senior loan unit investment trust, and it's going to give me the world of senior loans in one ticket. So you started to see that. Further, what we saw a few years back by a couple of our uh, competitors is you saw the access trade through the ETF. There are a couple ETFs out there that are basically based off of indexes. So the indexes got created, and for the investor or the advisor who said, again, I want to own a closed-end fund, but I don't want it in a unit investment trust. I want it in a listed traded vehicle. Boom, that popped up, and that's out there today. And it's been really successful uh, for advisors who are looking to stay in the space, yet they don't want to have to make the day-to-day -day decisions on which closed-end funds to own. If we go a little bit further, let's talk a little bit about where we think the next step is in closed-end fund investing. We like to utilize that ETF wrapper. Obviously, it's kind of the 800-pound gorilla in, investment, in investing today. And you look at the trillions of dollars that get raised, you look at the issuance of ETFs on a, almost a daily basis where new funds are coming out with new strategies from new managers, many of them actively managed, so you have that going for you today in regards to ETFs are front and center. We also want to couple that with the value. You know, Jim, was, uh, Jim Robinson was up here talking about sort of how he fell into closed-end funds. <clears throat> it is a very inefficient area of the market. There is value to be had there. So that's the alpha side. So the access is through the ETF. The value or the alpha is through owning the closed-end fund. And say what you want, and a lot of people talk about closed-end funds as if they're a commodity, and yeah, they are, but they're not all created equal. Bob talked a little bit about Z statistics and how managers have performed. We talked about returns on net asset values as being a real driver in terms of how you look at a closed-end fund versus their peers in the space. Not all of them are created equal on a daily basis. And we know from looking and really diving down into these things over the years that information can be hard to come by, depending on the manager that you're talking to or working with uh, on, a, on a daily or monthly basis, which turns a lot of investors and their advisors off to closed-end funds. They just say, you know what, too much work for 5, five or 10% of my book, I'm going to move on. And that's why a lot of them have moved towards that access trade I talked about, which is the ETF of closed-end funds. It's just easier. Proof of concept in terms of people wanting to be in closed-end funds and wanting active management. You've seen a number of SMAs of closed-end funds. We run three SMAs of closed-end funds uh, at our shop, and we've seen advisors who say, yeah, perfect vehicle for me. I don't want to mess with this anymore. I want someone to do it for me on a daily basis. I'm moving from that transaction advisor to that platform advisor where, you know what, it's one ticket and you take care of it for me, and if you screw up, I'm going to fire you. We're good with that. You've also seen, and again, Jim alluded to earlier, 
the traditional mutual fund of closed-end funds. There's several out there. They've been, again, successful in the space. Somewhat by smaller firms, a little bit harder to find if you're not looking for them. Yet they've raised a couple of billion dollars in probably the last five to seven years that they've been out there. So again, people looking for an alternative to buying individual closed-end funds. They want to buy the package, but they want to buy it in an actively managed structure. Retail investors are starting to discover this. Their advisors are starting to discover this. If you think about the IPO and the closed-end fund space, most of that money tends to get housed at the major wires that do the deals. There is a smaller percent that is starting to matriculate over to the family offices, the RIAs, because people are starting to realize that there's value there in something that is really, really inefficient. So where are we in terms of first trust, in terms of the access versus alpha? It's time in our estimation, it's time to stop thinking about just accessing closed-end funds. If you really want to add value to your investor's portfolio, and you're here today possibly to listen for that type of value, there's, and as I mentioned, there is a lot of stuff you have to think about if you're doing it on your own, and it can be kind of mind-numbing, given that the information is just not readily available. We have Bloomberg's too, and guess what? There's not a lot of data out there on closed-end funds outside of the premium discounts, the yields. You can look at some portfolios, but just a lot of times a lot of the minutiae just isn't there that you need to look through, uh, and it's hard to come by from a lot of the fund sponsors. So get away from looking at just the access trade. Start looking for the alpha in the space. Everyone talks about the inefficiencies. They're microcaps. Uh, you can really do well if you do your homework in the space. How many in the audience really want to do that if you're an RIA or a retail advisor? How many are equipped to do that and spend the time to do that if it's going to be a small percent of your book of business on a daily basis? And I said, I don't want to make this about what we're doing in terms of the products. I'm not here to, I am here to hawk products, but I, you know, I'm not going to try to, to just be blatant about it. <laughs> but uh, this is what we're doing. We, know, we realized there was an opportunity in talking with advisors over the years that they want to play in the space. They want support to play in the space. But in many instances, they're not sure how to get in the space. And if they do get in, how do they get out? When do they get out? We try to put that together in a solution for them with these two products that we launched in the fall. Now, like Jim talked about earlier, because, again, along the lines of what he's doing, we're doing the same thing. We look at a lot of different stuff. And, again, this is just a sampling of the things that we look at when we're evaluating what goes in these portfolios. These are actively managed portfolios on a daily basis. It's not indexed, and we're working to make sure that we can uncover value uh, in the space. That's what people are paying us to do uh, in the closed-end fund. So with that, I'm going to sort of close it up here. I have a few minutes for questions. I'll give you the, the legal slide, which everyone probably wants to take a picture of. Uh, but that's what we're doing at First Trust in terms of these new ETFs that we have in the space. So any questions? 
there's a gentleman right there. Yes, thank you. Uh, when you manage, when, when you have the ETF controlling the CEFs, mm -hmm. uh, is there room for discounts in the ETF? Would it, would it trade to a discount to NAV? Uh, if you look historically, again, we've only been out six months, but there's been a few funds that have been out there five to seven years. The discounts are negligible. I mean, it tends to trade right on top of its net asset value on a daily basis. So if you buy, if, if you put discounted uh, CEFs in your portfolio, why wouldn't that be reflected in the ETF? It's because of the efficiency, because in the ETF, actually, you can take payment in kind. So if it moves, if you have a discount on top of a discount, now, you see that in other products out there. Like if you look at closed-end funds of closed-end funds, you see a discount on top of a discount, right? right. Yeah. You don't tend to get that because in a closed-end fund, you can't get access to your shares, right? You can trade your shares on the secondary market. In an ETF, if you're big enough, you can knock on the sponsor's door and say, hey, I want to take delivery of the underlying. And so because you have that mechanism to take delivery of the underlying, the ETFs tend to trade right on top of their net asset value because else you could go and then trade those shares in the market if it was a relatively easy trade in the market and you could realize value. And so you have ZARBs in there who sort of play that and keep it in line. But you haven't done that yet. You haven't uh, sort of uh, traded fully on the, uh, on the NAV on your portfolio. No, they do. They do. Uh, like I said, the NAVs in... If you look at the underlying net asset value, and we do it, again, in an ETF, you can look at the underlying NAV on, a, on every 15 seconds, right? It reprices itself every 15 seconds. So you can look at that interday NAV and look at the share price. And I'm not going to say they're spot on each other, but they're within a few pennies to fractions of the pennies at any given time. So Thank you. they do trade on top of each other. Mm. Thanks. There's a gentleman over here. So how do you manage the liquidity mismatch between the underlyings and the liquidity requirements of the ETF wrapper? Well, first and foremost, again, we just, again, launched six months ago, so everything we're doing in and out is payment in kind. So we're not taking cash in and taking cash out. So people deposit with us our portfolio. So we don't really have an issue in terms of getting in and getting out. On a day-to-day -day basis, again, when you, when you invest in closed-end funds, you can't think, hey, I'm going to sell my whole position today. You have to be a little bit more strategic in terms of the movement of your portfolio. So if your question's along that line, we've been doing it for, we have some good traders. We've been doing it for, uh, like I said, in the SMA space for a number of years. We have a pretty good handle in terms of how we can, tr we can trade. In terms of creation and redemptions, all those right now are in kind. This gentleman right here. Uh, how, do you how do you handle the interest rate risk uh, in your fixed income? Uh, in, in terms of looking at the, the sort of the macro environment in terms of what's going on with interest rates in our muni product? Yeah, in other, what, am, what am I buying in terms of maturities sure. and durations? Sure, absolutely. The, the reasons why we wanted to do this actively is because we didn't want to be subject to what this gentleman was talking about is, hey, you know what, you own closed-end funds all the time and get used to it, and you're going to have, uh, have exposure or you're going to have risk with interest rates. Obviously, with what we're investing in, 
we have the exposure. But in our Muni product, just to give you an example, because we can be active, we only have probably about 56, 57% in leveraged Muni closed-end funds. Uh, we have about, as sort of recently as I think off the top of my head, and these numbers are just ballpark numbers, uh, people talked about these term deals. Again, we're trying to shorten our duration because we know the inevitable is the Fed's probably going to go a little bit more, and that can impact the space. 7% uh, in cash, we have about 20% in these short-term funds that have been coming out. Uh, we use ETFs in our portfolio. We have about 10% in short-duration ETFs. So we have about 40%, nearly 40% in shorter-duration vehicles in our municipal product, which pulls our duration in. Again, we can't escape it because we're investing in a duration-sensitive vehicle. So that's our muni product. On our taxable fixed income, or our, our balance product, which is the FCEF, we, the closed-end fund space has a lot of nice tools. It was talked earlier about senior loans. Our biggest fixed income exposure in that space right now is in the senior loans and short-duration high yield. So we're trying to manage our duration down in this instance. We tell people in our muni we're very defensive right now on munis. We like muni closed-end funds, but at a certain price we like them. So we're defensive there, and we've pulled duration down in our balance. So that's really how we're managing it. It's easier to manage on the taxable fixed income side because there's a lot of different vehicles that you can use to do it. Any other questions? I finished your, oh, there's one more. Oh boy. Oh, okay. Whew. First Trust has been very successful in UITs for many, many years. It's been one of the, well, probably the largest uh, group to, to do them, and now you're moving into ETFs. How do you see the change in investor appetite for UITs versus ETFs of closed-end funds? Yeah, I have to be careful here, Cecilia. Uh, I'm, I'm really walled off from our unit investment trust business. I'll go back to comments I made earlier in regards to the space. Uh, I believe, and these are my own thoughts, Advisors and in their investors want more than just an access trade in the closed-end fund space. Most people buy closed-end funds because they're looking for alpha, they're looking for inefficiencies. It was talked earlier about people are looking for big discounts or a discount here. They're looking for out-of-favor asset classes. I firmly believe that's what a lot of closed-end fund investors look for. Uh, I think just the access trade uh, can be a little bit cumbersome for a lot of folks. You know, when do you get in, when do you get out, versus having someone actively looking at it for you on a day-in and day-out basis. You know, as we've always said when we started doing SMAs seven or eight years ago to the advisor, look, if we don't do a good job, fire us. Our goal in the long run is to create alpha for you. We're not an access trade. We're not the trade that you're going to get the biggest yield on. Uh, we're not the trade where we only buy discounted closed-end funds. We're a total return manager in terms of what we want to do. So I can't really speak for what First Trust is thinking in regards to it. What we try to do, I can tell you at First Trust, is we try to provide the package for the investor and their advisor and let them make the decision in terms of what package they want the product in. It's kind of the bottom line in terms of how we look at things. Anyone else? If I finish early, I get a discount. Right, Nicholas? Oh, David. Thanks, David. In all the uh, various vehicles that an investor could 
get closed and funds in. Some have the ability to vote a proxy independently, hedge funds, and other ones would not. Unit trusts have to do mirror voting. Uh -huh. Can you comment on that uh, landscape and how that, uh, the value of that ability uh, might be? Well, you know, it's, it's an ongoing, I think it's an ongoing heated topic of conversation within the closed end fund sponsor side. What David's talking about is if you look at holdings, if you go to your Bloomberg and you look at the underlying holders of closed end funds, in some instances you'll see uh, hedge funds, dissident, you know, uh, activist shareholders, dissidents, whatever you want to call them, you'll see uh, large positions in a closed end fund, you know, up over and above what I can buy. I can typically only buy up to 3% in my portfolios of the outstanding shares. I'm limited uh, by the SEC in terms, but a lot of these other shareholders can buy 15, 20, 30, 40 percent. Uh, if I buy shares in a fund in a packaged vehicle, in, in my vehicles, I have to mirror vote. So if the vote comes in 60-40, I have to vote my shares 60-40. I don't have the option of saying, well, I disagree with that. I'm voting it all 100 percent one way or another. It's, you know, it's, as you know, it's an ongoing topic of conversation. Uh, I try not to get involved. We're long-only managers, uh, but it's something that people continue to talk about in the closed-end fund space, and you're starting to see a lot more of it these days as, you're, as big institutional retail institutional investors uh, find closed-end funds and look to uh, move them a little bit in the direction that they'd like to see fit. You know, Jim talked earlier about someone in Topeka selling 20,000 shares, and they'll go and they'll park it. A lot of these, these shareholders look for those big discounts. They look for that weakness. They try to take advantage of that weakness by getting involved and possibly knocking on the door of the sponsor somewhere down the road. It's the nature of the beast. They exist because I think closed and fund sponsors in many instances have allowed them to exist over the years, and it's something that has to be tackled. So that's it. I'm out of time. I don't get a discount, but thank you uh, for your time.